Welcome to the Outdoor Executive Dad Podcast, a show for parks and conservation professionals where we discuss how to be better leaders at our jobs, in our homes, and in our communities. We have one world to leave behind the next generation. Let's make it a good one. Welcome to another episode of Outdoor Executive Dad. This is Chris Lee and my discussion today is with retired executive director from Lee County Conservation, Mr. Tom Buckley. I conducted this interview a few years back. It was actually in early 2018, uh, shortly after he had retired. He, he retired, I believe, in mid or late 2017. And Tom spent 27 years with Lee County Conservation. Uh, did a lot of really neat things, and I think you'll hear that in the course of our discussion throughout this interview. A couple points I should make uh, regarding some local issues that we talk about. Uh, one is a North Gorge trail system, and that's a single-track mountain biking trail system that was established here in southeast Iowa. It's actually in Des Moines County. Um, and then he mentions a um, an issue with duck blinds, and that relates to an area that the County Conservation Board acquired uh, that's actually on the Mississippi River, and it became public hunting area, and there was some controversy. Still is, honestly, to this day, um, as to what types of duck blinds would be allowed out on there. And so uh, we talk about that a little bit, but uh, we had a, a good discussion I should note that at the time that I had this discussion, this was one of my first interviews that I've done with a retiring director, and I really didn't know what I was going to do with these recordings. All I knew at the time was that I wanted to capture some of the institutional knowledge that was leaving the county conservation system, and I'm glad I did. Uh, Tom certainly had some great insight, and it has now morphed into this podcast, but uh, like I said, this was a few years back, and um Hopefully, like me, you'll gain something from this and enjoy listening to the conversation I had with Tom Buckley, retired director from Lee County Conservation. Hey, Tom, Chris Lee. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Oh, not too bad. Did I catch you at a good time? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. All right, can you hear me okay? Yep. All right, cool. Uh, the first question I want to get into is... Uh, uh, you're well known for the the amount of, of bicycling that you do and your outdoor recreation pursuits. Uh, you spend a lot of time outside. In fact, uh, your email to me yesterday said that uh, you're getting your daily dose of outdoors between nine and three every day, even here in retirement. Um, give me a little bit of background as to how you got into that and, and how you got to be so avid in, in such things. Yeah, I guess the main thing, um, I, I used my bike for a long time as uh my primary means of transportation, and then uh, did, uh, oh, probably about three or four long touring rides in the uh, mid to late 80s. And then when I moved here to Iowa, I met a couple guys that uh, just rode a little bit more seriously and uh, got got to riding with them, found out about some competitive stuff that uh, just happened to have some uh, reasonably 
good skills at without ever knowing that. And, and from there, just uh, kind of took off. Uh, always enjoyed being on the bike, and it kind of evolved into uh, taking that enjoyment into a, a little bit of a, a competitive level, which I've always enjoyed you know, competing in things as well. So mm-hmm. uh, did that. Oh, really? For still doing some competitions of three or four year now, and, um, but really just enjoy it from the standpoint of being outside. This was, you know, it's cold. It's been the last couple of days. I, you know, just dressing right for the weather and being able to be outside for three or four hours uh, just is—it's almost a mental health kind of thing for me. I just uh, feel better when I do it. Uh, my outlook for. You know, a bad day becomes a lot better uh, just when I get that opportunity to be outside. And, and I think uh, it, it's just something for me that's it's always been a passion. But like I said, it's it's kind of a mental health thing, too. Yeah. Yep. So uh, for uh, uh, future reference, when I go back and, and listen to this recording, it's worth noting that the uh, average high temperature this last week has been hovering around zero. And <laughs> you've been out every day. Uh, how many miles are you putting on a year roughly on your bike uh this last year i did uh twenty thousand just under twenty thousand six hundred <laughs> my god twenty thousand miles on a bicycle that's insane yeah yeah but the most i've ever done in one year was uh well over twenty six thousand two hundred that was back when i was doing more competitions and doing some of the bigger races the race across america and um some of the 1200k races and those kind of things but uh. all right um so all right so getting uh back into um the career a little bit how long had you worked in, in conservation you just retired this year um i started really doing uh like environmental education work in in 1983 and i worked in uh, about four different places in the New England area. And then uh, I got into, uh, from that kind of sort of into about five years of working with uh, at-risk kids all in outdoor settings. So kind of looking at using the outdoors as some therapy stuff. And then uh, from that, you know, that those two uh, previous work experiences kind of led me to the job here in in Iowa, which started in uh, 1990. Okay. What was it that interested you into getting into into conservation? Yeah, I, I think um, I'd always, you know, as a kid, always spent an awful lot of time outside. Um, just, you know, that I'm, people have always marveled at how quickly I uh, eat my food. And I think of my brother and I used to always race to be able, when we were kids, we could stay outside after dinner until dark and so the less time we took eating up the more more time we were able to spend outside and, and I think always just enjoyed whether it was, you know, playing baseball or football or something with the other kids in the neighborhood or uh, just going long hikes with friends of mine to a couple different places that were just uh, really kind of neat areas where I grew up um, that, you know, from a young age kind of grew up with that interest and then uh, kind of swerved away from that when I started school. I, I actually got my first degree in uh, sociology, and I even started on my master's degree in that before I decided I really want, didn't want to do that. And it was about that time 
an uncle of mine who had worked uh, doing uh, landscape architecture stuff for a good part of his life. Uh, I kind of connected up with him and uh, did some work with him. Uh, went on uh, uh, several whale watches out of the New England area, and then that's when I kind of, you know, through that kind of learned about that you could actually work in something where you could be outdoors all the time. So I went back to school and got my degree in resource management and then finally my master's in natural resources. And uh, that's, you know, just kept chasing jobs, you know, throughout those years after school to, to try to wind up where I finally did here doing what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Awesome. What are some things that, that helped you land the job? Uh, I'm specifically interested in when you came to Lee County or uh, when you came here to Iowa. Yeah. Um, um, what were kind of the components that, that think, helped you land that one? Yeah, for, for me it was um, just a, a, the real – once I discovered this was what I wanted to do, I was willing to pretty much go anywhere to do it. So, And I, I did that a little bit in college because I bounced around from Louisiana to Oregon to Arizona to Indiana – um, just pursuing my degree work. And then when I finished school, I was pretty much, you know, anywhere I could go to be able to do the kind of work that I wanted to do, I was willing to do that. So I think that, you know, the willingness to go where work might be. And then I think the other part of it was just the uh, uh, persistence of uh, both putting up with a lot of job rejections and, you know, with part-time jobs that really didn't pay very well, but building, uh, you know, resonates through doing, you know, the first job I had with a master's degree, I got paid uh, $360 a month. So, you know, was willing to, uh, again, I was just pursuing what I wanted to do. Um, I was able to do that mainly because I didn't have a lot of um, uh, ties that, you know, either financial or uh, personal ties that kept me from, either pursuing the work I wanted to do or working at jobs that were all that great paying, but got me the kind of experience I wanted to get into the field. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. Um, it, it's a common theme, even in, even today, um, getting into this line sure. of work, you know, there's relatively few positions and a number of people that want them. And you've, this is definitely one of those jobs where you, you know, you got to work your way up, and and uh, everybody I've ever talked to has talked about the crappy pay and the the crappy jobs they had to work through to get to where they were. How did you? I'm especially curious into how did you uh, stay focused and stay on task when you got those rejections or when you're dealing with those those not so great jobs. How you know? Had there had to have been times in your mind where you were like, you know, maybe I should. I should just go do something else, you know, or I, I should find a different career line to get into because it'll pay more and I wouldn't have to put up with this crap. Uh, what was it that yeah, kept you going? I, I think I probably looked at that a little differently. At first, I wasn't going to do something that I didn't want to do. I was just bound and determined to do that. And I think I had, you know, support from my family that, you know, kind of helped me out. When I finished grad school, I had to spent about six months back at home, you know, doing some job hunting. And I think a lot of it was just, again, finding something, anything that I could do to, to start building a resume. I, all of the jobs that I got in looking that way, the, 
really the only thing that wasn't great about them was the pay. I mean, mm -hmm. the experience that I got with them, the people that I met doing it, even even the work that I was doing, I, I thoroughly enjoyed all those aspects of it. And, and I never really, um, I, I always looked at what I was pursuing as more of a, a passion, not not even a career, but just a, you know, something that I was really passionate about. And, and the, the money part of it really didn't enter in. As a matter of fact, when I came here and uh, when I started getting into riding with a couple of the guys that I rode with here, one guy, he, he'd worked uh, for a number of years as a lineman for what is Alliant today. And he was just kind of quizzing me about my background. And, and he said, you know, with all the schooling you had and, and you know, all that uh, knowledge and everything you had, you know, couldn't you find a job that would pay you more? And my simple response was, why would I want to do that if I could find something I really want to do? And and that's kind of always been my philosophy toward both working in this area and, um, you know, just really fulfill, pursuing what I wanted to do as, as a long-term uh commitment to the passion that I had, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. that. That's kind of very similar to my my opinion. You know, there's a lot of things us in this industry could go do and make a heck of a lot more money and, and you know, probably put in less hours, but we don't do it for the money. We, we do this because we love this, right, this right. line of work. So, all right. Yeah, I, I think, you know, trying to find something that I thought, you know, in, in some small way might make a difference and, you know, just for for making things better for, for other people. And then, you know, really, and, you know, whether it be considered selfishly or not, I mean, just finding that work that I wanted to do that was, that you didn't wake up every day thinking it was work, that it was, you know, something you were excited to go do and, and you wanted to, you know, continue to try to uh, develop and evolve and um, just get better at through the years of uh, doing whatever it was. Mm-hmm. All right. You said you got on with Lee County in, in around 1990, so that's uh, 90, uh, 2010, so th 27 years. You were there before you retired? Yeah, 27 years. Wow. Yeah. So what is it that make made you or, or what would uh, make anyone stay somewhere for a long career like that? Uh, I think I you know, basically found here what I wanted to do, and then I think uh, – in addition to that, I, I just really, I like the area. I like the people. Um, it just, you know, and, and live in a number of different areas. So I've, I've lived in a couple of places that were, you know, as far as uh, just having recreational opportunities and, and you know, maybe a, may have uh, some different types of beauty. I, I just found that, you know, being here along the river and, and being in a part of the country that just wasn't, you know, other than the extensive farming wasn't overly developed was something I really enjoyed. And then, uh, you know, just people here. And I mean, I lived in the South for uh, about four and a half, five years, and I lived out West and grew up in the East. And, and it just, the, the people here, there's just a real genuine um, niceness and, and, uh, openness and honesty, I guess, about people that, that are here in the Midwest, but I, I really didn't find that in, in other places that I live. So I, I think that, uh, that coupled with just being in, you know, an area that, you know, with the Mississippi River here, uh, 
to me, this was pretty unique. I mean, I grew up not too far from Niagara Falls and the Finger Lakes region of New York, and, uh, you know, there's some really beauty and spectacular things there, and living in Flagstaff, Arizona, and Eugene, Oregon. I mean, they're, all of those had some you know, really, you know, outstanding features to them, but it, it just there's just something about the Midwest here that, you know, everything combined really has been attractive to me, and and it's kept me here longer than anywhere else I lived, even where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I, a point of pride here in that. I like that. Um, yeah. So uh, digging a little bit into the, the operations uh, of the department that you ran uh, for so many years, um, what is your favorite or most valuable purchase you made at the department? And I'm not talking anything like a big land purchase or anything like that. Uh, specifically, I'm in, I'm interested in something that you used, you know, for operations or administrations that just made the functioning of the department easier or better in some way. I think um, over the time working with a board member that I had, and then uh, to some degree with the board of supervisors, to have a uh, a board that understood you know, both where, what their role was in, in the department as well as, um, you know, their understanding and, and support of, you know, kind of the vision that I wanted to put together with them. I, I think that was uh, part, probably the what, what moved us the furthest ahead, developing things like our foundation and then, you know, over the, the length of time that it took to, come to that point of uh, finally getting the, the conservation center built. I think those, the, the main aspect in that was was taking the time over years to have uh, a relationship with the conservation board members that, that they, again, understood the role that they had and, and actually worked in that capacity and then uh, kind of cultivating that through the board of supervisors so that those appointments were really um ones that should be uh, working as, as uh, people committed to conservation would be. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a, another thing that's come up in talking to a lot of directors is that relationship with the board and the, and the board of supervisors. Um, have any tips for other directors or future directors or just outdoor executives in general um, in, as far as cultivating those relationships? Any suggestions you'd have for those? Yeah, I'm, I mean, some of it, I'm sure, is, is pretty basic stuff that, that most people, most directors would do. Um, if not, right away, it wouldn't take too long to figure out is, is to making, you know, when, when there's new um, board of supervisor members elected, to make sure you make contact with them, even if you have to you know, kind of bug them a little bit to either... Uh, come in and sit down with you or, or you chase them down and, and, you know, find when they've got an extra 45 minutes to an hour to sit down and just explain, um, you know, simple things like, like the code and, and what their positions are. You, it's better to try to approach it from that standpoint, although it always, I mean, even trying to do that that way, it always seemed like when something somewhat controversial came up, they never understood that conversation from earlier that, you know, your role is, board appointments and and the uh, budgeting uh, part of, of our department and, and beyond that let our let our board do their job uh, that was always uh, you know one of those things that um, 
whether it be new board members or board uh, board of supervisor members or or ones that just had a you know a little bit more of a uh, an ego involved maybe and, and thought you know why why can't we have more control over these things uh, you know those are those are battles that are always going to have to be fought, but are a little easier fought if you do that, you know, groom the supervisors early and then maintaining those connections. It's not, you know, being at a board of supervisors meeting every week probably isn't necessary, but, you know, certainly once a month, uh, once every couple of weeks just to, to show up to show an interest in what they're doing. And I think that's another aspect of it, too, is, Every department head has, you know, especially come this time of year, has, you know, their agenda of what they want to see happen and what they want to get done. And and to understand that when you go in asking for money that there are, you know, in, in our case here in, in Lee County anyway, there's 12 other departments that are going in and asking for the same thing and, and kind of having that understanding that the supervisors have to make a decision for 15 different departments versus for just the one you're, you're looking for, you know, trying to manage all of that and, and put that into the, you know, when the decisions are made, why they are made the way they are. Um, and, and in some way expressing the understanding with the supervisors that, look, you know, we, we know your job's a tough one. And, and whereas we're, we feel like our job's the most important of those 13 jobs, there are other things that they have to manage. And I think uh, just touching base with them from the standpoint of, look, we understand your job is a hard one, too, and you guys, you know, get phone calls and, you know, people banging on your doors about a lot, probably a lot more things than, than the conservation department would ever have, I think is a, it's a good approach to take with the supervisors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's that's good advice. Um. So getting back kind of into into operations, um, what what's maybe something you've done over the the course of the years? Uh, maybe something that you thought was a good idea that backfired, um, or something that you know didn't really work out, but maybe set you up for a future success. You know, I call them. Do you have a, a favorite mistake along the way there? You saw some kind of a failure that led to maybe future success, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Or even just um, advice for things for, you know, current or future directors not to do from experience. Yeah, um, I think probably, and, and Nathan's having to deal with this right now, and, it, and sometimes it, it is the the decisions that are the hardest to make. When we uh, acquired the river properties where the duck hunting is done now, um, our initial uh, intent with that was, to limit that to both blinds only. Primarily, I mean, we had done a lot of uh, investigating, talking with the DNR, and you know, finding what other folks with uh, somewhat similar uh, situations might do or have with that. Even talking with uh, uh, Illinois DNR folks across the river, and, and all the advice and everything that we were getting from professionals in the field was: do the boat blind thing. Don't don't allow these permanent blinds to be there, and you know, our initial the, the initial knee jerk reaction to that was no. You know, we're, the, we're, there's a tradition here we want to stay with, so we, we kind of acquiesced and, and decided to go along with that. Um, and, and then, you know, it, it was everything that we suspected. It, it wasn't going to work, and and that's where 
the board is now and, and the stuff that Nathan's having to deal with with a lot of these guys. That, you know, we should have stuck to that back in, in uh, 2009 when we first made the approach. We would have had probably the same kind of headache, but it could have moved the process along to where now that would have been over and done with. Uh, the boat blind only situation would have been, you know, it would have evolved to the point where that would have become uh, what was accepted. And, and you just, I think there's, there are things like that, that you want to try to work with the public, but we also, you know, we come to these jobs as professionals and it's not like, you know, we don't ask the advice of, of people who either have more experience or, you know, work directly with similar kind of uh, difficult situations or controversies or whatever. And I think sometimes it's it's just that, you know, biting the bullet and saying, okay, this is going to be an unpopular decision for the short amount of time that will be. I mean, by comparison, you know, even a year, year and a half of having to go through rumbling and complaining and, and you know, articles in the paper and everything long term would have been a lot better to do that rather than just prolong the situation because it was what it did was it created every every year or every couple of years there was stuff that we as as people in the conservation board and, and particularly the maintenance staff you know had to deal with cleaning up other people's messes just because they you know they agree uh, you know, give you the head nod that, yeah, we'll do everything you want us to do. And then as soon as you turn them loose to do it, they're not doing anything that you want them to do. So I think that, you know, those are the kind of things that there's, there are times when you just have to say, you know, sorry, we understand we're a public entity, but we're also here acting uh, based on our you know, professional background and, and what is the best interest for the overall public and, and not just for, a handful of uh, people who want to sit around and pound the table and scream and holler and say, you're, you're not doing right by me. Sir. Right, yeah. Yep, okay. Yeah, that's a good one. Are there, kind of on a generalized uh, sort of thing related to our profession uh, while we're on that subject, are there bad recommendations you hear uh, in our profession, outdoor recreation, conservation, natural resources? What, what kind of recommendations? Uh, do you hear bad recommendations given in this profession? You know, kind of, um, you could also maybe look at it as there's some belief or myth kind of related to our industry that you know not to be true, but yet somehow continues to perpetuate. Yeah, you know, I, I think, and, you know, some of it goes back to what I was just talking about. There's, um, I think there's a view of, of the County Conservation Board that it is, you know, primarily, you know, for hunting and fishing and not an understanding of the the depths of what's involved there with, you know, with education programs, with, with recreation, um, you know, even, even some of the historical preservation things that different uh, counties do. It, it's, I think there's, you know, there's that perception that when people hear conservation that's, it's most readily connected to you know, hunting, fishing kind of interests and not the understanding that, you know, something like, you know, our, the bald eagle days that's coming up here is, is a big part of conservation or that, uh, you know, something like, uh, you know, maintaining an old schoolhouse in the county that, uh, you know, has some historical significance that those, you know, there's 
there's a breadth of, of what is done in, in conservation, and I think some of that comes to just the uh, in the way different counties choose to, to manage their department or, or or set their priorities for their department. Uh, but I think the other part of that is it's um, you know marketing yourself to your your locale to know that uh, you know so people know that there are those. Numerous things that, that are done through the conservation board, and, and so there's a better understanding that uh, it's not just a, a couple of things that are involved there, but there's a whole uh, breadth of uh, anything that has a, a relation to conservation that is done to the department. Right. Yeah. Are there uh, kind of you know we're talking about the industry as a whole here? Um, what are some surprising or unexpected ways our industry has changed over the course of your career? Um, or, contrarily, what ways has it not changed that you thought it would? Again, some of the land management stuff, and, and I, I'm hoping that will continue to change for the better. But the, uh, uh, you know, the, when I would do programs for, for some of the uh, service clubs, whether it be Rotary or Kiwanis, was, there's always a couple people that would speak up about, you know, you guys are, you know, you've got too much land or you don't need to get any more land or, or any, any of that type of thing early on. And as, you know, probably 15, 20 years went by, I heard a lot less of that. And, and then actually the um, things slipping the other way or, you know, have you guys thought about acquiring this property or doing something with this? Uh, this area that uh, nobody seems to be doing anything with. I, I think that there may be a transitioning to where the idea that every acre in Iowa should be uh, either put into corn or beans, that there is, I, I think, a little bit more uh, understanding or uh, support for you know having you know, some public land and having land where uh, you know it could either be uh, used by everybody for a variety of different things or, or that it can be protected for a specific different thing. I think there's, at least in the last probably half a dozen years anyway, I, I saw more people willing to take that perspective than just the idea of, you no, know, Iowa is, is, you should be uh, left for farming and, and anything done otherwise is really a waste of our time. Mm-hmm. What what do you attribute that to? What what is it that's brought about that attitude change? Or we? I, I think you know. Hopefully, it's it's some of the things that uh, we've been involved with, things like REAP and you know some of the other programs. And I think uh, some of it is you know it's it's what I would call a kind of a European syndrome, where when you've you've used up so much and you've got so little less that it you know it's all of a sudden it's like you know, we better do something to take care of this little bit that is left when we've we've done so much to use up um, everything else. I, I think there's almost a natural uh, progression in in that way that, that as you, the more, um, the, the less that you have, the more you're going to uh, embrace what is left than when it seems like there, there's plenty to go around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's, yeah, I like that. That's good perspective. Uh, what What do you suppose are some of the likely changes that are yet to come to this industry, and and uh, specifically, uh, how should us current and, and future professionals within this industry be preparing for or adapting to those? 
I, I think, um, you know, paying attention to as, you know, different groups, uh, you know, the, the younger people uh, become older. I, I think that might be one of the reasons that there's a little more interest in having some more public areas because I, I think a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of younger people now value that, you know, someplace to go, whether it's just to walk the dog or, you know, a place to find some trails to go mountain biking on or things like that. I, I think that's, uh, you know, as the younger generations gets into positions of decision-making, I, I think that has a real possibility of, of changes coming. And then just, um, you know, conservation boards having that understanding that there could be that, that shift for uh, more of, you know, less of an interest in, you know, working 12, 14 hours a day and, and more of an interest of at the end of that eight hours, I want to go out and, and, you know, enjoy some of what I moved into the area for or find some things to do with my kids or, you know, something along those lines. So I, I think uh, keeping a finger on the pulse of what the, I would say, you know, 25 to 40 year olds are, are interested in doing is, is probably a, uh, something that, uh, you know, just looking to the future would be worth uh, keeping an eye toward, and, you know, and then and then having to, at the same time, uh, fend off the you know, some of the older uh, thoughts or ideas about, you know, conservation is only about protecting our crop land so we can grow another crop next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting you say that. I, I, I get real interested in you know in, in demographics and generational differences and stuff and and uh, you know the the purposes that a lot of our lands and parks were bought for a generation or two ago really are, are kind of changing and and those of us in this industry are having to yeah. adapt to that and and uh, you know maybe take a different approach and so that's 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 good. I was just visiting with uh, family over the holidays and. Uh, they live in the Baltimore area, and they have an eleven-year-old son now. And they, you know, they, they're uh, pretty, uh, pretty much into mountain biking, and those kind of things. And they went to uh, you know, Moab, and then uh, I forget where it was in Colorado, the Durango area, or somewhere around there in, in Colorado, to to have a ten-day vacation to be able to do that. And, and I was saying, you know, there places that you know we're their place was nearby or even in like Western Maryland that they would think of doing that. And they said, well, you know, there are a few, but we'd like to see a lot more. And, you know, they're in that, you know, just that, well, I guess they're probably more in their mid to late forties, but it's still, I think there's, you know, young families that are looking for those kind of things to do. And, and I think the more opportunity that we can do to provide for those, whether it's through programming or through other, uh, uh, you know, acquisitions that can be done, uh, things along those lines are, are pretty important. I think what you guys have done with the North, North Gorge area, you know, something like that is, is something that should have an appeal here, you know, growing appeal as time goes on. Yeah, uh, judging from the public support they've gotten for that, geez, there's there's a lot of lot of interest in it. And, and you know, and that was one of those uh, situations where, you know, that, that wasn't in my area of expertise. I'm, I'm, I'm not a biker and, and certainly not into mountain biking, but you know, there's a guy on my staff and some people in the community that were, and, and 
they wanted this thing and they were willing to put a group of people together to make it happen. You know, sometimes you just got to, yeah, yeah. sometimes you just got to get out of their way. <laughs> yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, that, and that's the kind of thing too, that, um, I, I think a lot of us in the, in the field come to the field with some good expertise and good background. But again, I think it goes back to that idea of, of, you know, the conservation board, uh, reaches in a lot of different directions and to have the, you know, to be managing from the standpoint that you need to have a you know in-depth understanding of all of those different directions is, is probably the wrong approach either tap into staff members that do that or community members that have that interest and then you know like you say turn loose and let them go right yeah yeah that's good uh like shift gears a little bit here and, and kind of get into um uh, team building a little bit and, and uh, discussion of people wanting to get into this line of work uh what advice would you give say to a high school senior or a current college student that's looking to get into this line of work um one of the things i you know i've done several uh career day programs in the past and and it's uh you know find the you know find the part of conservation that you have a you know a passion for or a strong interest to aptitude for whatever it might be but also you know learn how to uh, express yourself well to a variety of different kinds of people I, I think there's always that misconception among young folks wanting to get into the conservation field that you know it's, it's the opportunity to go out and work work with wildlife or you know do some uh, walks through the woods or whatever but the, a big part of conservation is that you know, that connection with your um, you know your community members your community leaders uh just your your everyday joe or jane in the community and, and being able to um either spark an interest in them or you know answer questions that they might have it, it never I was never never ceased to amaze me when I was working that the staff would talk about how well somebody came in and you know they were talking to me for you know half an hour forty five minutes and I didn't get anything done today and uh, I'm like no you did you know that's you spent time talking to that person and showing them that you were interested in whatever it is that they want to talk to you about so those are I mean having that ability to you know just be able to listen to what somebody has questions about and not treat them as as they're you know some goofball or something just uh, doesn't know anything you know maybe it's an opportunity to even you know educate on on things that they may not have quite right or those type of things but but that those communication skills the ability to uh, work with people and you know make make people feel like they're important because you're taking the time to work with them. I think that's an important thing for, for people in conservation to have, but I think sometimes gets overlooked because I, I think the, uh, the field sometimes gets the, uh, attracts people who think this is something I can do because I don't really like to be around people. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I tell that story often that that was why I chose this line of work. Because I didn't really, you know, want to work with, you know, I didn't want to deal with politics, and I, I certainly, you know, didn't want to yeah. deal with, you know, the public and people. Yeah, I wanted to be out in the fields, right? and yeah, and and now you haven't, had, you haven't had to deal with any politics in the job. Oh right? God, yeah, that's uh, that's one of the big things that uh, they don't tell you in schools. 
that uh, there's there's yeah. a certain level yeah, of this yeah. line of work you can do that is just in the field, but uh, outside of that, it, it is it it's nothing but dealing with people, and uh, and so yeah, that's that's very good advice. I, I think something that goes along with that, especially from the director's position, is uh, a lot of us get to that point of being director because we did some other aspect of the work well and then when you when you find yourself in the director's position you're already you know all of a sudden you're dealing with budgets you're dealing with managing staff and you know working with the board and, and those all those different kinds of things that you really I mean I know I had no real background in any of those areas and, and it was uh uh, yeah, I did. Uh, I guess I had to do work with a little bit with uh, budgets with one of the other jobs that I had, but uh, just to, you know, it's a lot of that is the human resources stuff that you never, you know, you never really have had any training in, and then all of a sudden you're thrown into, you know, now you've got to evaluate staff, and you have to, you know, determine uh, every year what your budgets are going to be and prioritize that. You have to you know, kind of woo board members to get them to understand the, the different things that you think should be happening within the department. Um, none of that, at least I never had any training for it. And I think, you know, I think that's like an area where CCDA and, and then also uh, new directors uh, need to be encouraged to pursue other things like that when they get into that position because, uh, you know, it can be, certainly one of the more difficult things. I know my predecessor said to me when, when he was asked me if I was interested in, in doing the director's job, I, you know, at that time we were, it seems like we're always dealing with some kind of crazy controversy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we were at the time and I said, well, you know, those kind of things, how, how does that affect me? Just, that doesn't bother me near as much as the, the day-to-day things do with staff who are either, you know, you're having to constantly hold their hand to try to get them to do whatever it is they're supposed to do, or, or they're pushing back against the things you're thinking, you know, the direction you want to take the department in. So that's an area that I think, uh, you know, unless it's really somebody who comes to uh, to the job with some kind of business background that you really uh, don't get uh, a lot of development in unless you're you're actively pursuing that yourself mm-hmm. yeah i i agree that that uh i have a thing for perpetual self-improvement and, and uh and that you know that certainly was my right. experience when i slid into the director position you know there are so many components of it that you know god I, I have no training in this i have no idea what the hell i'm doing you just you jump into it right. both feet yeah. And you, yeah. You try to build a network that'll help you yeah. out and just run with it so. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, again, it, it's stuff that does come with experience, but, you know, it also comes with some hard knocks a lot of times. <laughs> and, and if you can, you know, either working with other people to, you know, figure out what they did or, or get some uh, background in that. So at least the, the hard knocks are fewer than uh, you know, what they could be. That's, that's always the best direction to go. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's quite likely you've already answered this question, but uh, what is something you've learned over the years that you found a, to be a key component of the job, but which they didn't teach you in school? Because there, you know, obviously all this admin stuff and, and HR things that go along with the director position. But uh, is there something along the way that was just glaring, like, you know, gosh, they, they should have taught me this. <laughs> I went to school for this. Yeah, I think, um, again, one of the things is, is having... 
a good you know good relationship with with the public and then also with the uh, board and the and the board of supervisors. There's again I, I again coming to the position with uh, you know, just an interest in conservation, but thinking that a lot of that had to do with you know doing stuff outdoors and uh, you know meeting a need that way. I, I think the more uh, they get under either be involved with, you know, other community programs or, and that, you know, having the conservation be uh, board in some way be connected to community development things that are going on or programming in that way. I, I think I learned over time that you're, you're going to have a lot more support from uh, the community if you're willing to be supportive of things that the community is doing. And I, and I think that it, it took me some time anyway to, to make that recognition because there's, you know, it's pretty easy to think, well, I'm doing what I should be doing in, in my position and, you know, trying to make sure that our areas are managed well. And when the opportunity comes along, we can you know, find an acquisition or, you know, do some additional development or whatever. But, you know, kind of missing that uh, connection that you can make if you're working with your local tourism department and, and then they're promoting people to go to your parks or you're working with uh, chamber of commerce or you know one of the uh, board you know whether it be uh, big brothers big sisters or you know main street or any of those kind of uh, tangential organizations that that can certainly promote the things you're doing i think that's uh, over the years it was something that i learned that that becomes uh Maybe not a critical part, but a, but an important part of uh, expanding the uh, opportunities for what you do to be spread around to other people who may not know about what, exactly what you are doing. Mm-hmm. Great, yeah, I like that. That's uh, definitely something I found in the position that you know that connection with the community is 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 clutch. You know, and, and you see that in the in the highest functioning counties. You know, they've they've got that that connection to the community so much. That's good. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, kind of the the work team. Uh, what are, in your opinion, some of the key components to a, a high-functioning team, you know, of a, and by team I mean the staff that you work with and the people that you sure. work with? Uh, I, I think obviously the, the one that everybody's going to hit on is, is always uh, communication, but I, I think – the communication comes best with, uh, you know, with chemistry being developed. And, and I think the chemistry comes right from the hiring process. You know, you've got to, you know, there may be, and when a job comes available and, and you're going through the interview process, I think in the interview process, just evaluating that person as to not only how well they do the job that's available, but how are they going to fit in with the staff that is there, are they, you know, somebody who's, uh, you know, gregarious enough and, and interested enough in spending time with, you know, some of the other staff members, uh, be it on, you know, time away from work or, you know, just on different projects or things like that, or are they somebody who wants to, you know, pretty much be doing their particular thing and, and not all that concerned about what everybody else is doing. So I think the, you know, finding the, through the hiring process, trying to develop a chemistry with 
those staff members that'll be able to, you know, make connections with the other staff. And then when you have that chemistry, I think that's where, you know, the, the team concept will come in and, and uh, you know, people being willing to uh, help out with somebody else's position when it's not, you know, not necessarily a strength of theirs, but they're willing to work with that person because, hey, that's somebody they respect, that's somebody they, uh, you know, they spent some time with on the weekend going fishing or, you know, taking a walk through the park or camping with or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that a lot because that's, uh, I kind of have that same philosophy in that, you know, the the hiring process, one, needs to be on, on you know, what they know and their qualifications, but the, the bigger component uh, is really, you know, how are they going to gel with the, the little family that we've built? And, uh, you know, a lot of these departments right. are so small and, and uh, um, you know, you're practically on top of each other every day. And so you, you really need to have those uh, interpersonal relationships such that people can get along with each other. And, uh, and, and not, and it's not even in my opinion, just getting along. It's, it's, they've got to be able to collaborate and, and kind of feed off of each other to, to do good things. And I think that's where the, the real power of, of having a good team comes from is like you said, that chemistry. I, I really like that. That's good insight. What, uh, so along those lines, how during the hiring process, how do you make that determination that they're going to be a, a good fit for the team? I always tried to, when we were hiring, uh, I would always work with either, you know, if it was a position like our operations supervisor or, uh, you know, the, the, like the head naturalist or the, or the uh, uh, with our program that has a wildlife department, I, I would work with at least one other person so they would have the, you know, at least have some input to say, uh, yeah, you know, based on what I know of the other staff here, that would, I think this person, that not only... So they have the skills and, and some of the background that we need, but they would fit in. There, there's sometimes, you know, somebody would, who would have, you know, maybe um, more experience or, or, you know, have a higher skill level, but you can see that they're going to be uh, either, you know, maybe not disruptive, but they're not going to be, they're going to be more interested in, in pursuing what it is that they're coming to the specific job for than seeing the, the you know, overall within the department, there's a lot of different things that have to go together. I know, you know, over the years, one of the things that I noticed with, with having a strong education department and then uh, a wildlife program that kept uh, two guys there real busy and then the, the park maintenance stuff that kept two people real busy, there's an awful lot of time um, throughout the year where you see, you know, different staff members see each other at the beginning and the end of the day, and that's that's about all they see of them, and, and that's, uh, I, I think that's an aspect of, you know, trying to, through that hiring process, to find people who are appreciative of the good work other people do without necessarily having to see, see that on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that that's good, you know, being able to kind of build that, that trust and their productivity and, and you know, that, that they'll go out and do the job and, and, uh, and just know that it got done properly. That's, that's a huge component. Cause you're right. You know, we're spread pretty thin in a lot of these departments and I know mine certainly is. And, and uh, 
So you said you you involved some of the other staff in the uh, kind of in the process and, and and let them weigh in. Um, yeah, certainly with uh, you know hiring of any of the assistants, I would always have the, the person that was going to be working directly with that person involved in the process, and then uh, I often would you know I know of a couple times anyway that I had you know we had two people that were really close, and and you know I was probably leaning. Uh, more strongly in a different direction than, than the, the person who was going to have to work with them. And, and I would defer to that person um, who was going to be working with them. And, and I can't think of any time when I did that that, it, that I had that, that kind of I told you, show we should have gone the other, other direction of uh, feeling. You know, it, it's, uh, I think that's, uh, you've got to trust the people that you work with, and especially when it's, somebody that they're going to be working with you've got to trust you know some of their instincts or, or some of the you know their emotional intelligence anyway that uh when you're uh, making those hirings if you want that you know chemistry and that uh, staff cohesion to be there to say okay you know I, I i can see both of these people doing a good job for us um I, there's just something about this person that i like a little bit better than the other person but the other staff members saying, you know, I like this person a little bit better. Uh, I just think it'll work better with them. And, you know, giving them, uh, you know, a little bit of that control over what it is they're doing. And, and again, like I said, I've, I've never had that, you know, kind of given up what I thought was the uh, the director's decision a little bit. I've, I've never never saw that backfire on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good, and that, and that I think that's a a testament to one's trust in their staff is that you know when you're right, right give that right. up and then to find out that and yeah this was the right thing. thing a little bit too I think you know that they're they're uh, saying hey you know I do have some say in in what's going to go on around here and and then you know and then like I say it's a situation where they're you know their day to day duties are going to be and they're both making decisions for that you know, what that person's going to be doing as well as how they're going to be working together. It's, I think it's a little more of a confidence booster for them to say, yeah, I can work with somebody. I, you know, this was a direction I wanted to go and, and, um, you know, some of it's made the bed got a lie in it. And some of it's, I think I did the right thing by picking or, you know, choosing this person over another person. Right. Yeah. Good. Um, all right. So we're, uh, uh, getting a little closer to the end here. I want to gain kind of some some insight into kind of your um, old personal views on on productivity and, and some things like that. I, I bet you just about ask any director out there, and, and there's almost always you know an endless list of things that that need done or could get done and, and things like that. What what are some things you've done uh, either it can be professionally or personally for that matter. Um, that have Im- improved your your effectiveness or or your productivity or or your efficiency at, at getting things done. Do uh, I I think um, probably you know one of the things after a number of years was just uh, working with staff members that especially around budget time for them to you know bring things to me that they wanted to see, you know, 
expenditures made on rather than just making those decisions um, unilaterally or, or with you know input from the uh, from the board itself but having the staff I'd usually start in you know, the uh, middle or later part of October saying you know look you know bring me a list of things that you think you're going to be needing for next year and then just weighing those you know throughout the department against you know, these are the kind of things that I think can we can get done. Uh, this is probably going to have to wait a year or two. Um, that you know was one of the things again, just trying to empower staff a little bit more with those uh, those kind of decision making things. I think the other thing was going from that process to you know when it came to uh, budget time and, and meeting with the board of supervisors to know. When, when to push a little harder for things, and and when to just say, okay, this is this is something that that's better off if I wait for it, and, and have your induction row, so to speak, if it's something you're going to push for, but also be willing to you know take that step back and say, okay, you know, this is something that's not as uh, high a priority right now, and we can learn to live without this for another year or so. I, I think that whole process of, you know, trying to get, I mean, just putting those things together is really what's going to either move your department forward a little bit or kind of keep you uh, stuck in that, you know, we're, we're not really getting anywhere. And I, I think the other thing that I found with that is I had, you know, a good number of staff that were always, looking to what could be done better in the parks, what can we do better with the education program, what can we do uh, just even, you know, with the new center opening up, just just to make that look a little bit better. And, you know, really without having to say, okay, come up with something, having, having those kind of, just having people that have that foresight to say, hey, you know, if we do this here, then just something as simple as, as uh, you know, adding the uh the shower house at wilson lake and and what that did to increase our our use of the uh, camping and and just the, the park use in general that happened there uh just you know clint made that suggestion to me you know several years back and and we you know pursued that it was it did become a little bit of a hot button issue with the supervisors but it, it still it it advanced us in a way that you know, without having some of that input and, and being, you know, having people wanting to look ahead like that, um, I think you need that. And I, I said uh, quite often to, to John, I said, you know, it'd be nice if we just could go through one year where we didn't have a, a big project on the horizon and or something <laughs> that we wanted to try to get done this year, and then we just did all the all the maintenance that we needed to do to get everything else caught up and and we we kind of laugh about it because we knew that somebody was going to come up with something that was a good idea and then we'd go ahead and pursue that so mm -hmm. I, I think that's that's the side of things that it, you could get complacent about you know let's just take a year off let's not really pursue anything but having that you know having a staff and, and having a board that was supportive of you know let's continue to take that that next step ahead i think those are the um, the things that, yeah, there was there was always stuff that we didn't get done that we would have liked to get done, but we also could always look back each year and say, wow, we you know we had 
three or four things we got done in the parks. We had a couple of new programs education-wise. We reached another you know, eight or ten landowners through the wildlife program. And, yeah, those are you got to hang your hat on those things because it's easy to you know want to get stuck in what we didn't do. Right. Yeah, I I, I like that. You know, I'm very much the same way in that you know I tend to focus on wow we didn't get this done or we can't afford to do this or whatever. And uh, we recently just completed uh, or well we we got to year five of our our five year plan, and we kind of had a strategic plan that was just kind of project based. And uh, I went back and and I compared that to what it was in year one and my god how much stuff you know has gotten done and and that's that's something that that i, I really have to force myself to to stay focused on because that that is so empowering you know there, there's just such a good feeling of being able to take a five-year plan and thumb back through it and be like oh wow look at look at all these things that you know we have now or we've done now that uh, we didn't have even five years ago and they seem so insurmountable five years ago so that's that's a good approach I, I really yeah like and Certainly having a, the five-year plan as a guide is, is always, you know, any kind of planning is, is always, but I, I remember Brent Fish saying to me one time about, and I was talking, I don't know what it was that came up, but I was talking about something. He says, yeah, well, he says, you, you know, you have that five-year plan, but when there's, you know, something staring, I think it might have been when we had the lightning strike in the situation that led to our getting us the, the nature center, mm-hmm. and then it just, you know, put everything else on the back burner for about a year and a half there, you know, that's that's a good opportunity. I mean, that's something that, okay, you, you're not getting two or three things done on your five-year plan, but here's something, you know, here's a bigger thing that, you know, really from when I started was was a vision that the board had, and, and all of a sudden now you've got that to be done. So don't get so hung up on your five-year plan that if there's other opportunities that come up that maybe you didn't consider, but there's certainly going to be a huge benefit to the community. Then you know, grab a hold of those and, and uh, you know, ride that wave while you can because it's uh, the five-year plan will be there, and you've got to kick something back into the sixth or seventh year because you had a, a great opportunity come along. That's really not a bad situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Be adaptable. That that's uh, right. Exactly. Yeah. Take those opportunities when they come for sure. All right. Um, what is what is a, a book or, or some books uh, you've most given as a gift uh, and why? Or what are some of the books that have uh, greatly influenced your life? And I'll, I'll preface this a little bit. Uh, I, I've stolen some of these questions. I, I listened to a, a podcast by Tim Ferriss. And he interviews a lot of high-performing people. This is one of the questions he asked. Uh, was actually, he, he put it into kind of a compendium in a book. Um, but I like this because I, I'm an avid book reader myself and and so it gives me the opportunity to, to find out, you know, some of the books that other people love. And it kind of helps me build my book list. And uh, I know a lot of other people are, are kind of avid readers, too. And so that's why I throw this question in there. Um, are there are there books that, that you'd most recommend or that you've uh, that have had a good influence on your life? Uh, one that I can think of just jumps right out as soon as I get a question like this, that um, it's, it's actually a really small book. Uh, written by a, a guy named E.F. Schumacher, and I, no, I can't think of the other book that he was more famous for, but the the name of the book that I always liked was called Small is Beautiful, and it, uh, you know, it, it pertains to um, pretty much anything that you're, you know, when you're working in any capacity of, of a job to try to look at, you know, just, 
keeping your your focus on those things that are closest to uh, to you that you know, you really do have some control over, and that the further things get away from you, the the less you have control, and and yet we seem to get more frustrated by when we don't have the control over those things. So uh, that's probably the one uh, right off the top of my head that, um, you know, small and beautiful is, is, you know, that's a concept of not just keeping things close that you can have control over. And, and that's, you know, that's really all we could ever have uh, a direct effect on, in my opinion, with so many things. I, I guess the other book that I that really influenced me a lot and, and it just uh, again it just I think it brought more to light of uh, what my appreciation for the outdoors was, but it was uh, Henry Thoreau's uh, Walden, you know, him going and spending his year and a half, two years of uh, living and being self sufficient and, and I think the that self sufficiency kind of fixed fits I guess with that small and beautiful idea that you know, control what you can control and, and don't uh, don't get too hung up on those things that you really have no control over. Mm-hmm. That's that's stellar advice. Um, yeah, both look like great, but I hadn't heard of that small and beautiful one. I'm certainly going to add that to my, my future reading list. In the last five or so years, uh, this is another stolen question, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life, if you have one? Anything you're doing differently now uh, that is is clearly making a benefit to to your life? Probably over time, it just always felt like I was never shy about speaking my mind, but I, I think just, you know, both working uh, with the board of supervisors and, and with my board a little bit more that um, uh, just developing a way to that is, I want to use the term maybe assertive, but, but just being a little more uh, committed maybe is a better way to say it, to uh, trying to get the things done that I, I felt were necessary. Um, and, I, and maybe some of that had, you know, when I was seeing the end of the tunnel, I was like, you're, you're less concerned about whether you're going to get beat up on something because, well, I those those scars won't last too long because they won't be here too much longer. But I, I think just the, uh, um, you know, being committed and, and willing to be assertive with the, uh, you know, some of the planning and, and some of the uh, programming that we were, we were trying to get accomplished over the last few years, I think that, uh, I think some of it came with experience and then some of it just came from, you know, that, I feel confident, more confident about what what it was we were doing, and was more uh, ready to answer questions that might seem more difficult to answer. And some of that comes with experience, and I think some of it just comes with uh, when you know it's the right thing, when you know it's a good thing, it's it's um, it's a better thing to it's an easier thing to defend if you have to defend it. And, and I think uh, early on, I was you know when I'd get a more of a difficult question or something that I didn't feel like I could answer. And I think I, toward the end, I always felt like, well, the right answer, the answer for this is it's the right thing to do. You know, I may not have a good counter to what it is you're, you're saying, but it, if it's, you know, some of it was uh, working with our situation there at Chatfield with the 
pollution problem going on and, and just, you know, tell them the DNR was willing to work with us on this, but it's also, you know, we've got to figure out a way to get that lake cleaned up. And uh, I, I would have probably in the past shied away more from that. And, and I think, there was, you know, when it finally came down to, you know, this is the right thing and, you know, you can find excuses that it's too expensive or people don't like this or whatever, but you know what? That's not the right answer because you're not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's, that's very sound advice. Uh, all right. So uh, last big question here. Uh, if you could put one message on a billboard, um, say for at least all the professionals in this line of work to see, um, but maybe just the population in general, uh, what would it be? You know, it could be a few words or, or a paragraph or even just a quote. Um, what, what message would you put out there for, for everyone to see? Um, I, I think just the one thing that I would say is, you know, be passionate about what you do. You know, don't do it half-heartedly. Don't do it because somebody else wants you to do it. And do it because it's what your passion is. Just be passionate about you know, the thing that you do and you know, if you're doing it in conservation, whatever it might be. But I think obviously if you're doing it in conservation, have that have that passion for uh, you know trying to make our environment better, make our outdoor experiences better, make the everything that's related to conservation better. Mm-hmm. Good. Is there? Any questions you got floating in your mind that I haven't asked that you that you'd like to answer? I, I think the the one that I would just come back to is is uh, one of the, and again I think it just it's a personal thing that I that I had some struggles with, but that for um, directors in in the position in particular, if you haven't come from the background of you know, personnel management and, and particularly the personnel management, I, I think in a lot of ways that can be one of the more difficult dealings that people have. Those are the day-to-day things, you know, when you have individual, you know, things that blow up program-wise or, you know, something bad happens in one of the parks, it's, you know, it's it's going to be over with in, in a couple of days or a week or a month at the most. But but the uh, the personal man personnel management side of things that just um, you know that really emphasized the uh, new directors or people who've been in the position for a long time that you know don't shy away from we I was fortunate to find uh, a woman that she's a, a was an attorney that the county uh, contracted with but was really good for a lot of the HR stuff and those kind of things and and I think. Um, making sure you have that you know that resource to go to having somebody that can help you out with those things is, is important because i think and maybe that's the the bigger part of it. i think a lot of us in in the field uh tend to think that you know asking for help isn't a great thing and, and i think that's something that you know anybody in any position anywhere uh you know i work with a coach for my cycling stuff and it's it's not that I don't think I'm good at it, but I, I want to get better at it. And, and I know, you know, somebody who's in the position to coach it can, can help me get better at it. So that's what I, and maybe that's the simplest thing to do. Look for a coach somewhere in, in the, you know, in the position. So you've got somebody that can keep pushing you to try to get better. That's good. I, I like that. I, I've, I've heard that before um, that, you know, no matter how, 
good you think you are at something there, there's always room to be better and and uh you know that's that's the idea of of coaching and that's that's great hearing it come from you you know a guy puts on twenty five thousand miles on his bicycle and still yeah. still uses the coach that's yeah. that's uh very insightful so um well that's that's all i have unless you have anything else to add um no, and I guess the one thing I would say, Chris, is, is I I think what you're doing is great. I think it's you know to try to capture uh, you know some some history along those lines and to try to glean from that what what other folks could use to again to be the only. I mean, that's part of what to me what coaching is is to try to find those things that will work. And not everything, not the same thing's going to work for everybody, but but you capture these ideas from different people and. And hopefully, in in some way, you know, something that any one of us says that if they can help somebody else, that's 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 a great thing to be doing. So, thank you. you know, kudos to you on that. Thanks, I, I appreciate that. And well, hey Tom, I really appreciate you taking all this time to to sit and chat with me. And and uh, I guess if I have any other follow up questions or if you have anything pop into your mind later, uh, don't hesitate to get a hold of me. You know where to find me. And and. Sure. Uh, Enjoy yeah, retirement. Chris. Again, uh, I think what you're doing is great, and good luck with that going forward. Thanks a bunch. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right. Have a good weekend, Chris. Yep. You too. See ya. Bye now.